Welcome back to the Service Design Podcast. My name is Lawrence Somers. And I am Jeroen de Puyt. And today we are in for an exciting conversation as we are welcoming not one, but two amazing guests in our studio. They both work at Minze Health, a Belgian digital healthcare company on a mission to revolutionize urology, pelvic health and incontinence care. For our listeners who are not familiar with those subjects, that means uh, everything in relation to your bladder and lots of pee. Their products are being used in over 400 hospitals and practices around the world, from Europe to the United States and even Australia, where they have collected a staggering 45,000 liter, uh, liters of uh, pee. I, I told you that was a lot. Uh, and it's clear they're not planning on stopping because recently they raised 3.9 million in a series a funding round. Our first guest is the Minza Health co-founder and former CEO turned chief product officer. It's so nice to have you in our studio. Welcome, Jiri Vermeulen. Thank you. Hello. Nice <laughs> to be here. You're not alone. Uh, you brought your uh, amazingly talented product development colleague. She graduated the year Minza Health was found in 2015 and has been with the company ever since as a research and development manager, putting her mark on, I think, all of Minza's products. It's uh, yeah, so great to have you here. Lola Platz, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hey, Lola, Yiri. It's nice to have you. You just told us a little bit about um, the backstory of Minza Health and how it was founded. And I've heard it ended up with uh, hitchhiking or it started with hitchhiking. Uh, yes, indeed. When I was uh, still studying product development, uh, I decided to go surfing in the south of France but I had no means to get there, but uh, using my thumb and uh, getting there. So uh, I hitchhiked and uh, a urologist picked me up, um, de Wind from uh, University Hospital of Antwerp, who was, back then he was still in Leuven uh, studying. So he took me to the south of France and uh, we got to talk a lot in the car. And um, in the south of France, we decided to just spend the week together and then that's how we ended up in urology. Um, it was not that we immediately founded a company, of course, uh, but that's where the relationship started. We got to know each other and I uh, graduated, uh, went to Barcelona, kind of forgot about uh, the whole urology space, but then uh, he came back with some challenges they faced uh, in urology and always was interested in the combination between product development and healthcare. And when my time at Barcelona came to an end, I thought hmm, maybe this is something to, um, to, to go further with. But as you will uh, learn through this conversation, it's hardware and it's software and the product development developer is very well positioned to manage that process and to, to be in both involved. But we are not the engineer or we are not uh, the software uh, developer. So found the co-founder in uh, Barcelona, who is a uh, electronics engineer. Um, we were organizing an Internet of Things meetup and he came there as a guest uh, and I wanted to leave. Um, but he uh, saw that I was packing the beers and he said, <laughs> no, 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 I still have to have a beer. And so we moved. Um, so we got to talk and he said, you, he wants to join this project, move to Belgium. Yeah. Uh, we found our other co-founder who was um, more in legal and in um, financial background, Gilles. And then, yeah, Lola, uh, yeah. came around. In the meantime, I was doing my master thesis with that same doctor urologist that they uh, met while hitchhiking. <laughs> and I was doing my, I also had, uh, just like Yeri, the um, 
I, I really find healthcare innovation, the role of the product developer, patient-centric approach very interesting. So I was doing my master thesis with the urologist on a smart diaper for children with in, with all types of bladder problems. So actually, I already had most experience, but was still graduating, and yeah. that's how I end up with uh, Minza. But so, if I if I get this right, you had a connection even before you knew you had a connection, right? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny because the the so it all started with Hunter de Wind, the, the urologist, and he sent me a text like, "There's this very smart, um, it the was hitchhiker. <laughs> <laughs> very smart." But it was more about the guy who was missing on out on the beers. Yeah. He was talking about that one. Like he's uh, there, uh, he's coming to Belgium. Do you want to meet up and talk about the smart diaper? And then I was here, like talking to some people here in uh, in in Antwerp, also at product development, and they said ah, it's probably Jerry Vermeulen. Eh? Mm. And then uh, yeah, Hunter said no, no, it's Josef. But <laughs> Jerry was also already in the picture, so well, yeah, the connection was smart. there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the stars aligned. <laughs> yeah. Great. Uh, maybe for listeners who are not or maybe not be familiar with the the company Minza Health um, or the background. Can you maybe quickly explain um, uh, what company is all about and what services or products you deliver for uh, for healthcare? Yeah, sure. Of course, when we started eight years ago and where we are today, that evolved a lot. Uh, but the, the problem uh, that urologists were facing is that when you have an, a, a peeing problem, uh, very often that's related to your urethra, your pelvic floor muscles, uh, and to know what's going on, uh, they do a Euroflow test in the hospital. And what does that mean? It's that you go to the hospital and you need to pee on a device which will measure and look at how you pee. It will look at your curve and it will look how fast the urine flows out, etc. But that one measurement in the hospital, it's not very reliable because people are stressed, their pelvic floor is tensed. Um, there is also not a lot of privacy in the hospital. Uh, sometimes they come with an empty bladder or two full bladder. So that single measurement is not reliable enough. And it's a very important diagnostic tool to understand what's going on. So the, the idea of the urologist, uh, Hunter um, and Stefan, was to make something which a patient can use in the comfort of their home so that they're more relaxed, but also that instead of one single P, you collect multiple P's. And that gives you a more representative picture of what the patient's problem is. Um, so that's what we developed. And of course, that's a hardware medical device because uh, you need to register the, the Euroflow. But it's also a lot of UX uh, and interaction with the patient because they need to operate the device when they pee. They need to give contextual information related to that pee. They you want to know how urgent it was. Mm -hmm. You want to know, was it during the night, in the morning, in the day? You so that kind of information you also need to collect. And you're talking about patients from two years old that use it, three years old to uh, 90 years old. Yeah. So the tech savviness, et cetera, that's also very different. Um, so that's where we started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what was the first product you, you released? So that was the home Euroflow meter. Yeah. Uh, so really the, the device that you give to the patient to go home and do the Euroflow test. Uh, but the feedback from the urologist at congresses, but then also a, such a nice device, it can be used on a normal toilet. Uh, can we also use it actually in our hospital uh, as a replacement for the existing uh, Euroflow meters that they had? So we then made, let's a, 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 a say, a, a enough product which the same hardware but which can be used in the hospital um, and then during COVID um, we 
were a bit, yeah, we couldn't go out. There were no congresses, urologists were at home. Um, so then we developed the third product, which is really much focused on bladder diaries. And the bladder diary is another important diagnostic tool. It's uh, basically a diary where you, during three days, you track uh, how often you pee, how much you pee, if you have any incontinence episodes, what you drink, uh, etc. And that's a tool that you use in the beginning for to help with diagnosis. But then further on, if you get therapies, you want to see if your complaints are improving. And the, the bladder diary is a very important tool to track your progress. However, today it's all paper-based, or back then it was all paper-based. So you write down mm -hmm. on the paper, you bring it back to the urologist, and it's a lot of work. So we digitized that. We made, again, a hardware to make it easy to collect your, for the, your urine, what you pee, and then the, the whole software for the patient and the doctor to see all that uh, data in a nice way. Amazing. It's super interesting. Yeah, you started with a, a product for people at home, brought it into the hospital, and then even made a third product at home that can yeah. be used throughout, I think, the entire journey, if I hear this. Yeah, and the idea remains that we want to bring urology to the patient's home, diagnostics and therapy to the patient's home. Uh, the hospital product was more to have more of a, to be more important for the urologist, because what we are doing with our at-home products is a new clinical practice. Uh, which is, is a harder thing to adopt than something which already is there, like in-hospital measurements. Yeah, because it's it's a novel product. I, I hear a lot of sensitivity as well of changing methodology, changing the way yeah they practice, how they do their diagnosis and, and trust that diagnosis from, yeah. from the patient collected at home. Yeah, because uh, Lola is uh, you're here as well as a research and development uh, manager. Um, I think if we hear about those products, uh, different contexts as well, I think a lot of pivoting as well. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on the on the journey you have uh, <laughs> seen Minster go through? Yeah. And um, yeah, how do you do research development in that, in that context? I think one of the, the beauty or but also the challenge of having hardware and software design combined, um, it opens a lot of opportunities because since we have this software, we were able to do the pivot to go from a hardware product that was actually designed for at-home use or designed to be used by a lay user on a normal toilet at home. But with the software, the whole guidance around it, the context can easily change. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something we always do. We learn um, constantly um, and we try to use that software to always create a new product, but using the same hardware product. And um, that's very interesting as a designer to be able to do those two things together and to find like the strength in your objective thing that you're measuring with your hardware device and then how you can maybe uh, engage the patient or the doctor with the software. Um, yeah, those together is really like the, the nice challenge. Yeah, it sounds sounds quite interesting how it how it started because you you made the first product you you did that together I think um, how how did the first patients react when you proposed this to them how how did you go about this so yeah. it's yeah. a long time ago eh? yeah <laughs> I, I still remember though. the first patients yeah how that like the in the beginning we um, the, there's a whole the whole regulatory process is by the way a very um, difficult thing because mm -hmm. you cannot just go out and test on patients. So you first need to have your product certified 
And then you can go test on patients because if you do that before the certification, you have a lot of things you need to deal with with ethics committee at uh, at, at the hospitals. So the real user testing with patients started basically after the certification. Um, and then the, normally the product should be ready to go to market, but that was not the case. Uh, in the beginning, when we brought the product to the patient's home, we went there, we brought it, Lola and me, we brought it physically to the patient and we spent one hour basically explaining how the device worked, how the app worked. We showed, we, we put some water in the device to trigger a pee. All these things we needed to explain, mm -hmm. but we knew this is not scalable. If we want to have thousands and thousands of patients doing it, we need to find a way to educate the patient that they can do this one hour conversation uh, by basically learning it from the app. Mm -hmm. And that was a, an iterative process. Yeah, yeah, and it also meant because of course, in the beginning we did test the device, but not with patients. So that meant that our friends and <laughs> we ourselves had to pee a lot. Um, <laughs> and it was also very interesting. You, you were the yeah. first test of this Of course, of course. <laughs> we always say, because we now have a product, we do diagnostics. So we try to aim for a, a big audience going from children to elderly. So we try to also design something that it fits most. Um, so we have now a, a bottle that you pee in, but it's also for women. And often the reaction is, can women pee in a bottle standing or sitting? And then they always say like, yeah, it's designed by a woman. She yeah. tested it. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're the first testing audience always. What you're saying, I think, or what I hear is that user centricity is, is very central there as well. But I think it's it's also quite unique um, because uh, our listeners know we're coming from a service design background. Um, but to be honest, healthcare is something that, that um, I don't really have a lot of experience uh, in yet. Um, and that's, that's totally fine. Uh, but I'm, I'm really interesting because you were talking about the certification and also the, the testing itself. Um what are some 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 challenges there that you experienced or uh, you would like to talk about uh, and highlight us a little bit on how does that that go the, the product development process there maybe to answer first to the first part of your question is like um, the design uh, of your app and how good the user interface and the user interaction is 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 not optional it needs to be extremely good because if it's not good enough, then also the medical results are not good because then you're not capturing the data that you want. Of course. Yeah. So you have no other option than making, than having a full focus on the user uh, interface and experience. And that's not something that you can uh, sandbox and do from your uh, desk. You need to build it and then just have the assumption, this is a, a minimum viable product and we're going to send it into the wild with the real users. And we're going to learn so many things that we could not um, think about before. We could not anticipate on because people do the craziest things or they interpret it in the wrong way. And it's just the only way to know it is by throwing it out and mm -hmm. letting them test it. Can you give our listeners some examples of the crazy things the users did or is it classified? <laughs> it's not classified. I just have to, I don't know if I have on the top of my uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot right now. If, if something comes up, that, that's totally fine. But I think I'm, I'm triggered already. I have, I've had already some very special questions when I was testing in the hospital, oh. but maybe those are a bit <laughs> too graphical to share. But yeah, it's things like putting the sensor in the cup where you pee in instead of un underneath or... Uh, putting toilet paper in the sensor. Yeah. Peeing on top oh, of yeah. the toilet paper. 
or uh, I think it's there are many stories, but you need to know the product to really understand um, the explanation. Because if I would explain it now, you, like it's a, it's a cup on a sensor, mm -hmm. and the sensor only registers when you pee on the cup when it's on the sensor. Yeah. But some people lift the cup, pee in the beaker, and yeah, then put it on the sensor, and then say it doesn't work. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, it needs to be attached to the sensor. Yeah, that one I really didn't see coming back then <laughs> because we we made the product that you can. Uh, place it on the toilet in two positions for sitting and for standing and it's basically it's measuring the weight over time so the fact that the, that someone lifts up the cup collects the urine and puts it on the sensor that was really something and in the end it's if you think about it it's not that crazy that that person does it but that was something that we really didn't yeah. see coming. It's some things you only learn by observation, right? Yeah, to really yeah. see them use it and see them. And uh, actually, oh, that's <laughs> the, the funniest thing is, and that's really something oh. we could have seen, but we really, yeah, it's weird that we didn't see it before. But when we made the first product, um, we did not have a shield. We call it a shield to protect because it's weighing. So if, of course, someone's butt is touching the cup, you're also <laughs> measuring more than the urine that is being oh, yeah. captured so that was one of the first but the first that's prices. not a, that's not a user error yeah. it's a more it is uh, something we had to <laughs> adjust yeah. and that's a challenge because of you were talking asking about challenges mm -hmm. you're in a very tight regulated environment and you can only learn these things from putting it out and let users use it but you cannot if you're not certified uh, and then when you make product changes you also always need to evaluate if that's something you need to that the notified body it's called it's the yeah how should i explain it's those who approve you your medical device should i inform them about this is this a critical thing or not and it it delays and complicates your design process a lot because a, a design change might mean a new uh, certification process so you basically have to take a gamble there as well which i think the user will yeah use it this way and we think it's gonna offer value for the user without actually testing it with real users in advance. So it's a bit of uh, a tricky situation. Yeah, I think it's, it's through what you say, you, you, you cannot test early. So that means that you need to already get, go very far in your product development and investing before you can actually try it out. Because before we started the company or during in a very early phase when we were not funded at all, we did a lot of interviews with uh, urologists in Belgium, uh, Leuven, Ghent, Antwerp, we were explaining our concept and, uh, and we wanted to know, is there really a market for this? And is this going to work? And you explain your, you pitch your concept and you pitch the problem statement. And all urologists were like, wow, this is really great. This is something which would add a lot of value to my clinical practice. So then you feel confident, like if this is finally on the market, wow, it's going to fly. So in 2018, three years after developing it, it came to the market and nothing happened. <laughs> there was very little sales, very little traction, uh, a lot of uh, requests for studies, but no, we, we didn't have really paying users. And we were puzzled, like, but we talked to all the congresses and we talked to all these doctors, like what's what's going on? And then we learned, uh, because we were all very young when we started MINS, we had no experience in medical at all. Then we learned that for a medical device to be successful, you need to think from the get-go about the whole, it's called reimbursement. Like if you go to a doctor, you don't pay out of pocket. It's paid oh, by yeah, the yeah, insurance. Yeah. 
And that was not there for home Euroflowmetry. There was not something as reimbursement. So the business model was then the patient needed to pay for it out of pocket. But the doctor is reluctant to ask a patient to pay for this therapy or diagnostic themselves. So that was one of our biggest challenges. Like, okay, how are we going to get this financially? And, and is that then a regulation no. thing that you have to um, to solve? Or is it more, uh, again, going to the product development to change it? Or how do, how do you tackle that? That for us as service design, it's the whole thing. And you have your how your product works, you have how your, your logistics work, how does the hardware get to the patient, how does it work? Because your patient is a user, your doctor is a user, but it's actually also how is this going to be paid for? How is it? And that part we were, we were not aware of. We thought that it was very normal to just pay something out of pocket yeah. uh, or that the hospital would fund it somehow, but that's, that's not the case. Um, so you, there we got uh, very much stuck. Then, for example, changing to also making it possible in a hospital setting, yeah. that's then something that created customers. And so it's pivoting at the right time, learning. Um, yeah. And now I think one of our big learnings of today is um, that yeah, diagnostics is one thing, but people prefer to pay for a solution rather than knowing what their problem is. So now we're also looking, how can we support therapy? Because... Uh, we also see a lot of value of our products and objective data during therapy. Uh, and again, with software, we can build the support yeah. around this. So it's constantly learning and, real, and changing. This is a really cool thing that's going to happen now because when we started, like if you bring a new medicine to the market or a new really medical device, let's say a prosthesis or something, there are ways to get that re reimbursed. So you can go to Rizivescult mm -hmm. in Belgium you talk to them, you, you do clinical trials and you show this prosthesis or this medicine works and then you get reimbursement. But for digital health, there was no framework that could uh, do that for you. So there was no way to get it reimbursed and that's slowly changing. So in uh, Germany, you now have something which is called DIGA, which is a reimbursement trajectory specifically for digital health therapies, not diagnostics, but therapies. In Belgium, you now have mHealth. Uh, in France, now you have the same model as in Germany, it's called Beacon. So the last couple of years, it, there is a way to get it reimbursed, but it needs to be therapeutics. And that's why we're also now going to uh, not pivot, but evolve uh, mm -hmm. and add software on top of our hardware, which enables therapy. Yeah, yeah. And, and and just out of curiosity, is, is it then therapy that a patient could do fully by themselves at home or is the doctor still involved? Yeah, it's both, but uh, most uh, normally you should start with a lot of the problems that we're targeting. So like waking up during the night to go to the toilet, incontinence, frequent voiding, uh, urinating. Um, Normally you start with lifestyle advice and behavioral therapy that takes like a couple of weeks to see some results. And then you go to medication or more uh, invasive procedures. So this first part uh, you can perfectly do at home. And actually we also see that sometimes this first advice is not given to a patient. It's sometimes as simple as stop drinking before you go to bed or don't drink so much alcohol or coffee because it's an irritant for your bladder. So it's giving that holistic view in the comfort of the patient's home. Um, so yeah, it's, it's perfectly uh, possible to do it at home, but there's also then in a later stage when you're doing, for example, more invasive therapy, 
you also want to see what how effective is therapy and it's always it takes some time to see the effect so if you have an objective parameter to track maybe you're not feeling a change yet but you can at least see that for example your bladder capacity is increasing or your frequency is going down so it's a bit like running if you go one second faster yeah you don't you don't notice it but your app tells you and you're just happy that you're seeing some kind of uh, change yeah it's i see the analogy with a, a sports watch and then <laughs> and then uh, using an app that tracks your efforts it's it's like a good um yeah Comparison, maybe I'm, I'm looking at Yuri. Yeah, uh, if I may add to that, that's what we do now. We track what you, how you pee. We track how often you pee. But in a sport watch like a Garmin, you also have a program which says, okay, I want to run uh, 20k, mm -hmm. and then it gives you a set of uh, goals, distances, and goals to be able to get to that goal of running a 20k uh, run. And that's what we're now going to develop. So the tracking we already do, but how can we help you to get less incontinent, to get to wake up less in the night to go to pee? There is evidence-based bladder training to do that, but it's if you get it now, you go to a urologist or a pelvic floor physiotherapist or even a, a general practitioner, and he will say a couple of these things, and then you of these tips basically, mm -hmm. and then you go home, and yeah, you need to remember it, and then three four months later you come back. So we want to guide that whole uh, yeah. process. Yeah, of course. Maybe, maybe to add on that as well um, with with a question. Um, but when thinking about new products or new uh, business opportunities as well, about innovation, do you mainly start from uh, clinical studies that have been done, and then you see like, oh, there's a market need, we can do something, or is it sometimes also the case that your products lead to new clinical studies and new insights as well? I think new product development is coming from everywhere and uh, that's again uh, where we as designers then are a bit the, the, the person laying the complex puzzle but we have a team of really specialists so sometimes it's coming from ah oh, here's a nice technology opportunity that the guy with the beers he's always looking out for new technologies uh, must be cr really creative <laughs> <laughs> so it's like now there's this new sensor it's really good and Okay, we listen to it, uh, but then you have, for example, so competition, what is happening on the market and uh, yeah. where we see then uh, there's something new, like people are starting to record the sound of urine to do Euroflow. There are some companies, okay, that's uh, maybe a threat or an opportunity. And then there are studies being done, new guidelines, new evidence. So it's coming from all directions and um, yeah, and sometimes it can also be from our own product. We, we notice that we, we get uh, patients who request to use our device to buy it directly from Minza because now we're only selling to hospitals. And then again, we see an opportunity. This patient saw some kind of application that we didn't think of yet. Is this something? So it's from everywhere yeah. and then trying to find the, the puzzle. And that's a bit, uh, in the beginning, we were a small team. Well, we're still 13, that's not huge yet, but we were a, a lot of a smaller team. Um, and then all these inputs, they came from everywhere. And then we talked about it when we were having a coffee. It was a, a very organic way of selecting the next way forward. But now that our team is growing, we're also getting more feedback and ideas, etc. And uh, the product uh, team started to notice, like, this is hard to manage because the sales and marketing 
team wants to have uh, new features really because my customers said it and they want to be able to adapt it to a product that already exists so that's important or that's that's one thing then you have the the software team who also wants to make it more robust and data privacy and, and, and all that kind of things so those ideas come and then from your distributors in different countries it came it comes from everywhere and we needed to find a way to prioritize that and to share back so um so Tell us, how did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, it was really a problem. It, it, it was good. Uh, it was creating a lot of frustration also within the team because during, for example, for the software development team, um, during a, a trajectory of uh, often it's like three months of developing something, right? Priorities were really changing all the time. So they started with something and then we came with something else that has higher priorities. So it, it was shifting the whole time and it created a lot of uh, frustration um, and then we said, okay, we need to do this uh, in a whole different way. So then we opened kind of an, um, we, we use Slack as our communication tool and we opened a specific challenge, uh, channel, which is called ideas and uh, feedback from the market, et cetera, and with a certain format. So if people had ideas, there was no, there was no place where it was formally captured. When people had ideas or hear, heard something, they added on that uh, specific template in, uh, in Slack. So during the months, we are logging all the ideas and then we do quarterly meetings with the whole team where we go over all, we, we kind of bundle them and map them and we go over all these ideas uh, and we discuss them with the whole team, which, which has the most priority, how does that impact our end goal, and etc. And then we go on kind of a retreat, retreat <laughs> with the product team. We went to Ghent, uh, we stayed two days in Ghent, fully focused with the product team, selecting the ideas and prioritizing them and then sharing back to the rest of the team and say, this is what we're going to do for the next three to six months. Mm, a kind of roadmap, really. Uh, a kind of, yeah. of roadmap uh, so that everybody is on the same page and knows what is going to happen and why that everybody had the, the um, opportunity to express their uh, yeah, priorities and why, etc. And that works. I think we should go into that methodology more, but I'm also curious why, why Ghent? <laughs> uh, we were looking for a place where we could uh, have a good workshop room, where we could sleep and could have some nice things in the evening. <laughs> and it could be really anywhere. I was yeah, so, sounds reasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For our listeners, the inside joke: we're in Ghent right now. So, <laughs> no, but that, that that's great. Um, were there some some other things that that you find really helpful? Small, big changes that you uh, found were were helpful to manage this uh, this change, this pivot. From the methodology point of view. Yeah, yeah, on, on the methodology point of view. Uh, because I think, yeah, new ideas and the prioritization there is one thing, but maybe also sharing knowledge yeah. or um, a briefing each team on what's going on. Yeah, I think definitely the sharing of knowledge and why certain decisions or features or whatever are being made. Um, and then definitely with, for example, also the software team, because Yuri just explained it as... Um, yeah, uh, priorities that are changing, but if you don't know where the input comes from, why it is changing and which priority, then it can feel like very chaotic and just random, whereas almost always <laughs> it comes from a very, um, yeah, from a, from a source or there has been, it's, it's, it was thought through. It's not just 
oh, today, let's do mm. this. And I feel like changing this feature because it looks nice. <laughs> it's not, it, there's like, there's a foundation behind yeah, it. There's reasoning. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, no, I also personally find that the fact that there's now a place and a way to share market feedback or things or ideas you have, it relaxes everyone. Because it, otherwise you, you go to a congress and you heard something interesting from a urologist and there was no real place to kind of park that idea. And now that it's there, it's used a lot. And it's also, I think it's sometimes hard or, or we may underestimate for new people joining the team. Like the product, for me, I, it's in my head. I know every feature. I can go all the way in the rabbit hole until... I know everything where it is, yeah. but if now people, new people join and that's what's lately happening that we also on the product team have some new people and you just notice, yeah, that's not workable. And uh, it's also a way of letting a bit, letting go and, and maybe also getting some peace in your head because it's now all, instead of all in your head, we're gradually getting things on, on document and on paper. Yeah, of course, it provides structure, right? And you also know like, okay, I have this idea, I can, I can put it down somewhere on the, on the parking lot, but I know that it will be taken care of, it will be revised, and maybe it doesn't make the cut, but then it will also well, be uh, have the, have the right foundation. Are we connected to our Jira, for example, where then it doesn't end at Slack because Slack is a chaotic platform. I think everybody who uses it knows it. So, but it's just a starting point. It goes to Jira, gets structured, get priorities. It's the start of the journey. Right, great. I think it's quite interesting to hear how you have the typical challenges from an innovation, well, an innovation company. But I, I, I also find it uh, funny to hear about the um, digital ID box. It's something you typically have in, in, in like uh, innovation consultancy where we say, oh, we put an ID box in the company. But now to hear how it's actually implemented and how it helps to structure it it's 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 quite nice actually i think the template is the key we don't it's not really an idea box like hey i write something on it's just write something random and you know, it needs to be related to a, a product part and it needs to have a source and it needs to have a reasoning so it's, it's the template i think which makes that people think it through and if, yeah. if it doesn't fit the template or if it's just too random then there is also kind of a restraint to just shoot all the time random features <laughs> Yeah, makes it more meaningful. It makes it more thought yeah, through. And not meaningful. just like make something better. It also already challenges the person who's requesting something or to think about how, so that it's not all just no. like we fixing it or someone else fixing it. It's already a shared uh, responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I w uh, was just uh, thinking about, um, you spoke earlier about, um, we spoke earlier about user centricity, but also uh, different kind of end users. Uh, for example, people who will use a product, patients uh, specifically, but also the doctors and maybe some, some other stakeholders. Um, do you see uh, differences there in, in approach or maybe even the design process or um, uh, what kind of methodologies do you use to incorporate uh, them both? And, to maybe start my uh, my question, uh, maybe the, the I think the doctors is a really interesting user group, right? Because it's a very old profession. There, I think they have their 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 ways of working. They have a, a specific context as well. Uh, how do you approach them? How do you um, incorporate them uh, into the uh, the the user flow? What I can say is it's it's not uh, difficult to imagine a patient. It's just. And if everyone can be a patient, so 
or mothers or sisters or friends, they can all be users so that you can kind of picture. But in a hospital, you don't actually know who is using it because for a long time we made our platform with the idea that the urologist, the doctor is using this. But after a while, we figured out that it was actually the nurse who was managing it and transfers that data to the doctor in it's called the EHR system and electronic health record, which is a, a software from the hospital, which uniforms the whole interface from the patient data. So actually we learned that in a hospital setting, the urologist did not look at our software. It was the nurse and then gets a PDF out of our system and then enters it into the EHR system. So the urologist didn't see 90% of our features. It's lovely. It gets complicated the, the more we ask. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. figuring out who your user is is already a challenge. Yeah, and case. it's very challenging because you also have different type of uh, doctors or hospitals. Um, and yeah, we work a lot with university hospital, eh, like Gunther de Wien and Stefan de Wachter are from the University Hospital of Antwerp and they guide us from a clinical point of view. But they are also more the innovators and the early adopters, whereas the majority is maybe not yet seeing the the value of some of some of these things so it's also checking in um often enough with the the the, the big group of doctors or also gps maybe people are less into the specific field but treat a lot of different uh, patients with all types of uh, bladder problems and trying to find again it's like the self-driving car you it's it still has a as a steering wheel because it would be too freaky if you're sitting in a car where there's no steering wheel it's a bit like that we have the input coming from like this is the vision there's where we want to go um but how can we make it like, still accessible yeah the one that alienate your user yeah, of course yeah. Yeah. but also yeah. like the real value is in the end like how can we guide them because with a bladder diary for, for example it's super simple but many people don't use it or some doctors don't use it because it's they have to calculate some things and then they maybe don't know what was this threshold again. But actually, it really helps you to guide this first lifestyle advice. Should I do this type of medication? So it's showing that data in a very not overwhelming way. That's a, that's another challenge again. But I think there wow. is a where we look at those different type of users and how we can bridge what they are doing and what they are already envisioning. If I can add one small thing to that, and then you have again the challenge of if you want to get user feedback, you're working with patients. You cannot just call the patient and ask their feedback. You, you're, you're working with doctors and nurses who are way too busy. So getting the feedback from a user, it's already a huge challenge. So when, when do we do that? When there's a, a problem, they call us, and that's a good opportunity to learn. But also on congresses, that's when they're more relaxed and open. And then we, of course, now we meet a lot of these uh, of our users and that's a good opportunity to ask them feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, challenging for you as a company, because a conference, I typically tied it to you, you have your sales hat on and maybe not the research hat or, or do you have the research hat on and maybe not the sales hat on these conferences then? I think my hats or Nola's hats are all on at the same time. It's very colorful. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, it's it's a mindset. We also um, we also kind of have the the habit of bringing the whole team to the biggest congresses, even the software development team, because then you learn firsthand from the users and the needs and the feedback on the product because you demonstrate it. 
So it's not only about sales at the congresses, it's also about creating awareness and capturing feedback. And of course, we have a sales uh, manager, Ivo, yeah, Ivo and Wilfried, our CEO, he, they will focus a bit more on the sales mm -hmm. part. But uh, often when uh, a doctor is starting to ask in-depth questions, then we take over mm -hmm. to know why is he as, uh, asking these questions. I hear a lot of complexity, a lot of challenges, and you had some, you had some, I think, quite challenging moments as well during the company. Uh, why did you continue? Um, because you know what you're doing is digital health will transform healthcare the next coming two decades, we believe. And what we are doing is we are very early. Uh, we know that it will come and at some point what we do will be uh, standard of care. So it's not about, it can be very difficult in the moment, but that doesn't mean that what you're doing is not valuable. Uh, so it's really about believing in the long-term vision and uh, getting through the difficult moments. You also sometimes get feedback from patients uh, or doctors who said we could help the patient in a way which was not uh, possible without your product so that also motivates you like okay we're doing something which is really valuable yeah, yeah i think and definitely this patient group because it's often they're often unseen it's not life-threatening bladder problems but it has a major impact on quality of life and your social life so we sometimes also indeed get these feedback or messages from patients who were really who, who we helped and i think the fact that we are also taking this we're compared to competitors, we also try to not stigmatize or we really put effort in our product to not be like another thing you put in your toilet and that looks like something you would put in your toilet. So to, to approach this in a very designer way and make it look mm -hmm. good or at least not ugly. That you don't feel <laughs> yeah, make it or don't feel yeah, like a patient. Yeah, make it attractive as well. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like consumer health, kind of fun to work yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, before our conversation here on the on the podcast, we were also talking about gamification and, and things that, that triggers us as designers and we are really invested in. And I, I think it's amazing to see that as well in uh, digital health or health industry. Um, it, are, are there companies or brands that you guys look up to or think about, um, wow, that, that's something that they do really cool, they really inspire us? <laughs> yeah. yeah, with me, it's probably a bit... Uh, uh, typical, but I think Apple is just like uh, 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 that's very interesting because it, it isn't a, a health company or not yet or anything. But why do they inspire you, or what do you think uh, is inspiring for you? The mix of everything, the 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 design, but then I really mean like how it looks like um, the technology or how they combine things like the the tech inside and then the vision. Um, it's just all together they're really trying things it's it's for me it's like everything is as important and of course the user experience is also a big one where that's almost number one um but yeah that's for this yeah i think you i don't think you can call apple a hardware or a software company it's a IoT is hardware and software is the product. The same for us. We don't have an emphasis on hardware or software. We are both. Yeah. And I think Apple is a very good example of how to do that, uh, where Google is clearly a software company. Um, and another example I would, what I look up to is Withings. It's a French, uh, I call it the French 
Apple from healthcare. <laughs> uh, they have a similar kind of uh, beautiful design, but it's it's really healthcare. Okay. Uh, beautiful designs, very good apps. Um, and, and do they also focus on uh, the same uh, conditions, no. urology, or is it something completely different? It's 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 interesting. It's consumer health, so you can buy a smart thermometer or a smart watch, okay. uh, or a smart um, blood pressure uh, sensor. Uh, so you can buy it as a consumer, but it are all certified medical devices, so it can also be used in a clinical setting. Mm -hmm. So they kind of bridge uh, consumer health and uh, really hospital medical, uh, but in a very nice way, in an Apple way. Yeah. And then maybe more in our field, I think, uh, or partly in our field is LV. Um, they have like a, a pelvic floor trainer and they also have a breast pump. Um, but they really, it's like the focus on the user is again, yeah. very clear. And definitely with their breast pump, it's a bit like Dyson when they came up with the, with their vacuum cleaner. It's from a from a tech and product, how you see that product is totally changed. Like how it looks like it's, it's, they were able to question that product really well and came up with something so much better. And they make it not look, uh, the same thing with the pelvic floor thing, they, they make the company look sexy and the product look sexy, whilst it, it's about incontinence and breastfeeding. It's not mm. the most sexy thing, but they manage to uh, to market it that yeah. way. There's a positive connotation to it. Yeah. For, for me there, um, you see really that, that marketing and branding is so important. I, sometimes I have a product development background. I really like to go into details um, and also understand everything, but uh, it also shows that um, really how to put the product out there and make it attractive. And, and as you said, make it, make it sexy as well. That, uh, that's, that's super, super important as well. And, and I also think you're putting the bar quite high for yourselves. I hear LV, Whittings, <laughs> Apple, those are top brands in, in each of their class. They're world renowned. And you're also now um, expanding to the world markets already, I think since the beginning, no? Yeah, we are not expanding. We started global. We have a global mindset and yes the bar needs to be as high as uh, Whittings and LV. Uh, yeah that's clear it's <laughs> not ever a question what's one of those moments that you that you thought all right this is really an achievement for us what what's one of these moments a couple of things i think the oh. From a product development point of view, I think when the first mold was opening and closing and you saw your product coming out, that was just, a, a, we were there, we saw it live, but also the, the, the having the product in your hand in all in the beginning, I think that was mind blowing. Yeah, I found it's very stressful to know that your 3D model <laughs> is going to be, of course we work again with very good partners, so it's not that like the, the, the final updates to, to make it easy moldable. Um, we're of course together with an expert, but I had so much stress that first mold, like, oh my God, imagine, because sometimes when you also send a file, like a 3D file to, to <laughs> another, like the to bullet. a company, <laughs> there are these artifacts that like, was always, I was dreaming, like imagine that some of, one of these artifacts is in the final product. Um, but yeah, that was indeed like a very beautiful moment. It's like, I think. I, I don't have children yet, but I think it comes very close <laughs> to having yeah, it's a like child. A <laughs> uh, yeah. It's amazing. I, I, I love that. Uh, to really see it become concrete as well and to maybe uh, uh, hold it in your hands, yeah. to feel it. 
Mm-hmm. That's a hardware, of course, and I'm from a software perspective, and you have the first connections, and that you just see your whole thing kind of working in a way that is still in a laboratory, but just the first birth of your concept is cool. I think uh, because we're medical, the, having the certification, that was really, you cannot imagine what a tough uh, process that was. Mm-hmm. That was something we were very proud of because also we had no experience, so we just figured it out uh, along the way. First customers, and I think... Um, yeah, also now that we have the the VC round is a quite an endorsement that uh, what we're doing is relevant and that's uh, very good VCs mm-hmm. uh, specialized in health, Capricorn, White Fenter, BMV. So we're very proud of having these uh, investors uh, trust. Of course. Um, what does the future hold for you guys? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I think... Uh, the therapy development uh, from a from a product development point of view I'll answer this question the um, really the therapy development is really a new until now we were really much digital diagnostics and tracking of your progress but now we're going to offer something which can make the patient better as well and not only inform the doctor on how to make the patient better so that's going to be a very much a user-centered patient-focused uh, design process um, and there is now we know reimbursement uh, waiting for us if we achieve this. So for me personally, I'm very much looking forward to that trajectory. Yeah, uh, I I agree. But I'm also personally doing um, a PhD. I have the opportunity to do a PhD with Minza and the University of Antwerp. And of course, I hope that uh, my PhD will also um, shape the future roadmap, product roadmap. Um, it will also start with this therapy, but Which maybe it already does indeed. It already yeah, does. it's it's nice yeah. that you can combine research and then implementation, design implementation. So, um, yeah, I hope that will uh, change. Uh, that will happen in the future. That it really comes nicely together, and that I can maybe validate it also in a scientific way and can prove that our therapy and our assumptions that we're making about this. Um, therapy, compliance, motivation, using the combination of physical product and software that really has an effect on um, on health outcomes for patients. Very much looking forward to seeing that take shape as well in the near future. Thank you for sharing your trajectory and, and how Minza Health came to existence, all from a hitchhiking story <laughs> to, to sitting here in Ghent uh, on another retreat, but this time with the Service Design uh, Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, for coming d- down to Ghent, to coming down to our studio and uh, uh, for sharing all these stories. Thanks so much. Thanks. It was a lot of Thank fun. Thank you. <laughs>